ask Dee to come forward and read uh, John chapter 6 for us. So the reading is uh, John chapter 6, reading from verse 1 to 13. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people allowed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Thank you, Dean. I grew up in Naroya. Yeah. <laughs> and our house backed on to Mr. Bullen's bakery. <laughs> and every morning when I was a kid we used to go next door and we used to buy a freshly baked loaf of bread and we would bring it home still warm but the bread wasn't the only thing Mr Bonner made he made some scrummy pies and donuts and once a term or something like that it wasn't very often mum and dad would allow me as a special treat to buy some lunch a pint of donut for lunch so I used to Go to school and then place your order, pay your dollar fifty or whatever it was, and, and then your pie and your donut would turn up. So one of these fantastic days, I happened to have eaten both my pie and the donut, and I was wistfully longing that I had another pie because it was so good. And uh, I was sitting with some friends, and uh, one of my mates who had just started his pie suddenly piped up and said, "I don't want my pie anymore. Does anyone want my pie?" And I was just like, yes, I will have your pie. So I took his pie and I started eating it. I thought, man, this is pretty good. And I got to about a third of the way to go and a couple of other guys started fighting and they 
they bumped into me and I, I spilled the pie on the ground and I can still remember the pie that I was eating on the ground. <coughs> I was just like, oh no. But just at that point in time, a teacher was walking past and he said, Oi, you two, you've got to buy Graham another pie. <laughs> and that was one of my finest memories of primary <laughs> school. <laughs> so I got two and a half pies for the price of one. And that was a great, great event. And that's kind of sad, really, when you think about it. <coughs> the point of the story is that boys don't like giving up their lunch. Which makes the boy in today's reading quite remarkable. No doubt his mother packed his lunch with five freshly baked small barley loaves and two small fish, and they probably dried, so they probably didn't smell that great. And he followed the crowd out to listen to Jesus. Now you can't tell me that no one in that crowd, see that was 5,000 men, so there's women and children on top of that. So you can't tell me that there wasn't other people there that had food. And, and some of the, this, is, this uh, miracle was in all of the Gospels, and I checked some of the other Gospels, and Jesus asked the disciples to go and find out who, who has food. So you can imagine they were calling out, hey, he's got food. So it's quite, a, quite amazing that this little boy said, yeah, I've got, I've got food. I mean, he would have been tempted, I would have been tempted to kind of slide the, slide the cover over the, the bread and, and your fish and no, nothing to see here. But he didn't. He came forward with his five loaves and two fish. And he didn't know it then, but Jesus would take his lunch and would turn it into the greatest miracle of hospitality the world has ever seen and we're still talking about it 2,000 years later and that's quite an amazing thing when you think about it and even though the boy gave up his lunch in the end he got to eat so much that he couldn't fit any more in because there were 12 basketfuls of, of bread that they picked up afterwards so even though he sacrificed he received later on and here at Abide, we might liken our little fellowship to that little boy's lunch. In the face of all the challenges, the church, that's the church with the big seat faces, our contribution seems as much chance of making a difference as five loaves and two fish had of feeding many thousands of people. But what can Jesus do with us if we offer ourselves and our fellowship to him? Where might he take us? I would love to find out. Wouldn't you? <clears throat> it's been quite an adventure this last five months, hasn't it? I never thought we would be in a different church, no longer part of the Anglican Church. And although I'd seen it coming for many years, it was still a bit of a shock when it finally happened, when the Anglican Church accepted motions 30 and 29, and in doing so formally rejected the Bible as the sole authority by which everything else is to be judged. And I certainly felt that if the scriptures become subject to culture and any other thing in our society and we allow uh, those other voices to have um, authority greater than that of the scriptures, we have nothing left. We might as well go and play golf or go fishing because we have nothing else to offer the world. However, we wanted to stay together because we valued our community 
and many of us have known each other for a long, long time, and it's a precious thing. And we needed to uplift our community and transplant it to a new venue, which we found here at St. Clair's. And we felt called by God to adopt the name Abide. From John 15 verse 5 I am the vine, you are the branches He who abides in me and I in him He bears much fruit For apart from me you can do nothing And I just wanted to share that um, <clears throat> Early on we had some really encouraging words of knowledge um, And at the end of our first service um, A lady came up to me and said that She had been going to pray uh, for us for our fellowship that day and um, she, when she closed her eyes she had a vision of the Lord and, and the Lord's um, face was surrounded by leaves and then that went and the vision came again and there was more leaves and then the vision went and came again and, and, and the Lord's face was covered with leaves and then she came along here and she saw the leaf on our PowerPoint, it was the same leaf and that was really encouraging to us that uh, God has called us and God has asked us to step out in faith and so God sees us and knows us and has a plan for us and that was a really encouraging uh, vision that I'm so glad you shared and so we're very confident that abide is the Lord's doing and we go forward in this confidence but before we go any further, it's important to remind ourselves of some very important points that we looked at in our first few weeks as a church. And the first one is that our primary calling is not necessarily to do stuff, it's to abide in God, it's to connect with God. In fact, that comes first before anything else. To abide is to continue to stay, to remain. And it's only through abiding in God, staying connected to him as the vine, that we can hope to produce any fruit. And we saw that the branch doesn't strive to produce fruit, it just remains connected. So our calling is first and foremost to simply remain in God, to abide in him, to enjoy his fellowship that, that Michael shared um, to enjoy our relationship with him and from that he will produce fruit in its right season. And this is, uh, this is something that we have control over, how much we consciously connect with God during the day. <clears throat> and one thing you can do if, you, if you'd like to is to set your alarm to beep on the hour. Okay? And when it beeps, whatever's in your head you share it with the Lord. Okay? No matter what it is, and remember that, you know, if it's something that's not very good, <laughs> that's okay. God's, God's got you covered. But it's a way of consciously choosing to connect with God throughout the day. That's what we're trying to do. Right? That's, that's abide. To abide is to connect. Secondly, God has big plans for his people. The scripture teaches that God's plan is for us to be a kingdom of priests. So what does that mean? If you remember a royal priesthood, we are called to carry God's presence to one another and the rest of the world. 
We are made in his image and his likeness, and this is how we bear witness to others around us of his goodness and his glory. And I'm sure you're aware, as, as just as I am, of that, that we're broken inside, that when what we do is imperfect. But the Holy Spirit works through our weakness and enables us to carry out this priestly role. And that's grace, isn't it? God covers us and works in us. And as we focus on connecting in Him, His Holy Spirit works through us. <clears throat> so as we focus on abiding in God, we can expect to see Him bringing this about in our lives and in our church. <clears throat> and finally, our core identity is not what we do, or how much we have, or how well others speak of us, and it's not our gender, or in fact anything that belongs to this world. So I've been thinking about that recently, that if our identity is based on anything that stays in this world, like our gender, what does it mean when we, when we go to be with the Lord? Who will we be if we are not his children? And that's why our core identity is that by grace we are children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High. So ever since we started Abide, people have been asking us who we're going to align ourselves with. And that's an important question because we didn't want to be like an orphan church just sitting out there doing our own thing. We wanted to be accountable as a church to the greater church. And the most logical choice for us, seeing as that we came out of the Anglican Church, is to join the Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans, or <clears throat> FCA, or Fishing, Camping and Adventures, as I like to say. Recently we were sent a draft um, constitution of the FCA, and we're gaining confidence that this is a good direction to go in. We were concerned that um, because the FCA is, is, I guess, dominated by the African churches and they're quite conservative, um, they would take a dim view of women in leadership. And that would be a problem for us, given Sarah's role in our fellowship. Um, <clears throat> so, um, but there was nothing in that, in the Constitution, about that. It was really good stuff. And so what we'd like to do is to get Michael Hewitt to come in and talk to us about what it would mean to, to align ourselves with FCA. So hopefully that sounds okay to you, and um, yeah, we'll continue to go down that path. <coughs> so at this stage we're a volunteer team, aside from Rose, who works part-time for us, in administrative and pastoral care and a whole lot of other roles. Thank you, Rose. And we're conscious that no one in our leadership team um, is currently licensed as a marriage celebrant. And as far as I know, none of us have taken a funeral before either. Although Rowena tried to get me to take one on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> now in the short term, um, we have a few licensed ministers who have offered to help us, which is great. But uh, as our adventure unfolds, um, we will be seeking the Lord's leading on this about how we can um, 
uh, get to a place where that issue is um, no longer affecting us and we don't have to call on other licensed ministers. Now, uh, <clears throat> a number of years ago I took a, a paper through Otago University called Competitive Strategy. And uh, a key point of that course <clears throat> was that strategy comes from who you are. And uh, I, I did a bit of a paper on Anita Roddick who started the body shop. And uh, she, I think she um, had a, a loan of £4,000 when she started and she sold it for £130 million or something like that to L'Oreal. <coughs> oh no, £700 million of which her share was £130 million. And she did some very unusual things. She, uh, she set up a, a foot soap factory in a, a suburb of Glasgow, which was 300 miles from her nearest other factory. So unusual strategy, very unusual. She didn't spend a, <coughs> a dime on advertising, which in the you know, cosmetic industry, I think the average is 33 cents in every sales dollar gets spent. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> yeah, so 33 cents in every sales dollar gets spent on advertising. So very, very unusual strategy. And it turned out that her core value was that she wanted to make a difference. So it wasn't her product, wasn't anything like that, um, and she rejected uh, she felt that the advertising of cosmetics was largely based on a lie, which was if you use this product, you'll look like this. And so she said, right, that's it, I'm not spending a dime on advertising. So who she was determined what she did, what her strategy was, and it worked. <laughs> so, yeah, a key point of strategy is that it comes from who you are. And before you can come up with a plan of action, you need to know that. And part of who we are at Abide is what we value. And over these last few months, it's become clear that we value first and foremost Jesus Christ and the cross. And we want him and the cross to be kept front and centre. That's our faith. Secondly, the Bible has the final say. And sometimes we can say we don't really understand um, what the Bible says on a particular issue, and that's fine. But the Bible is pretty clear on a number of things. And when it's clear, I think we stay firm and stick with what the Bible says. And that can be, that can be difficult, as we know. So yes, we can be open to <clears throat> other sources of theology, such as culture and reason and tradition. But I really like Martin Luther's Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Scripture being the final authority. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings new life. It brings freedom. And we want to allow the Holy Spirit freedom to minister to us and through us to each other. Fourth, prayer. Prayer is how we connect with God. We can't abide in God without prayer. Now I don't mean prayer as in like a, a time that you only do prayer. Yes, that's prayer. But I want to cast the net wider 
in terms of a de definition for prayer. And that's where that the setting your alarm every hour comes. Right? So when you consciously become aware of, of God's presence, I think that's prayer. And then God becomes part of our everyday lives. No matter what we're doing, we can turn to Him. We can ask for His help. We can ask for His inspiration. And that is what I believe we are called to do. And in fact, one of uh, John's um, inspirations is Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God. And that's what he did. Well, whether he, he was spent most of his time in the kitchen, didn't he, John? It was his job, yeah. But everything he did, he did in the presence of God, wasn't it? But that took a lot of practice of, of being open to God while he worked. And that's the ideal, I think. That hopefully we will get to the stage where we're more and more conscious of the presence of God just there with us. That's, that's where I want to get to. If I've got a fair way to go, to be honest. <coughs> people. People matter. People are important. Every person is made in the image of God. And therefore, every person is an image bearer, no matter how broken that image is. And it's hard to look at some people, you know, that you see walking on the street or who you meet and you think, man, you have to almost disregard what's on the outside or disregard what's hitting you because um, it's hard to see the image of God. But it is in there somewhere. Right? That's what it means to be human. And therefore, everyone is welcome to join us in our community of worship. And we might have some people join us that, you know, um, we might be uncomfortable, but I think we, we welcome them because um, they are important to God just as, just as we are. Our sixth value is welcoming genuine community. And we want to welcome everyone and seek <coughs> genuine community <coughs> with each other. And I'd really like to not have anyone sitting by themselves when we go out for, for pizza. And we talked about this at our eldership meeting and I think Raywin pointed out that you know, when, when we have those long tables, it's not conducive to, to just putting up a chair and getting in a conversation. So what we'd like to do is actually meet just next door here for pizza with these small round tables and and that will hopefully be more conducive to pulling up a, a seat welcoming other people into your conversation and connecting with them so I hope that um, you're comfortable with giving that a go but I think that'd be great and finally hospitality we show our love and esteem of people through hospitality <coughs> And we aim to try and have every one of you out for a meal at some stage. <laughs> We're working, working through um, the, uh, the list. But yeah, we'd love to, to have you uh, have a meal with you out at our place. And hopefully, you know, um, you welcome each other as well. And so we, we all share hospitality together. And I really think that Hospitality can be a way of mission, of reaching out. You show someone's valuable by giving them hospitality. You, you, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, 
if you give them a meal, if you, if you take the time to prepare a meal for them, you are saying to that person, you are valuable. You are worth preparing a meal for. And that's something quite profound. Um, and it's there all the way through Scripture, right through from the Old Testament, right through the New Testament. And when I went to uh, <clears throat> the Middle East, especially Lebanon, <clears throat> and I did a, I went to the village my grandfather was born, I couldn't go 100 metres without someone inviting me in for a coffee. It got to the stage where I just had to say, Look, I'm really sorry, but I just need to go a few hundred metres further because I'm trying to find my, some of my distant family. But it was amazing. The hospitality is so important, in, especially Lebanese culture. <clears throat> I, really, I really saw... Oh, it was great because I, yeah, I could see hospitality is really important to, to Dad and Mum. And I, it's wonderful to see where it came from. So, um, yeah, hospitality hugely important. So I hope those values resonate with you. <clears throat> I hope you identify with them as important as important things. So finally, well, this is about uh, Vision Sunday, and um, a few weeks ago we we talked about the term telos. And uh, if you remember, telos is an old word used by ancient philosophers of habit, and it means our goal or our end. But it's not like I'm going to go down to the supermarket and pick up some shopping, it's not that kind of goal. It's, it's sitting in our heart. It's a, it's a vision that sits in our heart of what it means to flourish. It's a picture of flourishing. And everything we do, we've all, we've all got it. If we're still alive, we've, <laughs> we've got that picture of flourishing. <clears throat> And when you think about it, the, the modern advertising that we're all exposed to, they don't say buy a lotto ticket. They, they have a picture of the sun going down and a guy sitting on a massive boat and he's sipping a cocktail and he's just at peace with the world and then they say instant kiwi or lotto or something like that. Right? They're selling, they're saying that if you buy an instant kiwi or a lotto, you will be able to get that telos, that picture of flourishing. Alright? So it's, advertisers know how we are wired and they use that to try and get us to buy their stuff. They try and sell pictures of flourishing. And it's easy for these pictures of flourishing to supersede God's pictures of flourishing. And that's where idolatry comes in. That's where bitterness can come in when we when we get bitter with God because we don't, oh, I haven't got that. And I know exactly what that's all about in my own life. So what is our telos here at Abide Church? What is our picture of flourishing? <clears throat> and I want, to, I want to try and capture what it is uh, by telling you a couple of stories which I recently heard. We had Gogol and Viz for dinner um, just over a week ago and in the course of the conversation they said that when they were in Ethiopia they were part of a little home church and they would meet at three for coffee and a chat <clears throat> and then at roughly four o'clock they had a time of worship and they, they would worship for an hour singing together and songs and, and then at five o'clock someone would, would do some kind of teaching and they would all discuss it together and, and wrestle with it and 
and pull it apart and then at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., they would have dinner together, they would share a meal together and that would go on till maybe 8 o'clock. And it was interesting because I think it was Biz said that after a while it became really precious to them. In fact, they so precious that they started turning down other invitations because they didn't want to miss their church gathering. And that started, um, yeah, it, was, it, it became so life-giving and beneficial for them and they loved it so much. They were in this tight-knit group of people that did life together <clears throat> that they didn't want to miss out by going to other things. <clears throat> and other friends of ours told us a similar story when they were in Japan and they had a similar home church going on. In fact, they said people would travel two and a half hours just to get to this gathering. Two and a half hours. And then they still had to go home. Two and a half, yeah. So that tells you how important it was. And they would, they would often finish, and instead of, for their meal, they would go out to these, Japan has loads of these really nice restaurants, evidently I've never been to Japan. But um, they would go out to these restaurants and often they would kind of tear themselves away at 9pm 9, 9 at night. You know, and then they still had, some of them still had two and a half hours to go back. So both of these stories describe a picture of flourishing <coughs> that I believe are a telos for here at Abide. Do they sound good to you? Would you love to have a, a community of people that you, that you did life together, that, that you journeyed, that you learned together um, from God, God spoke and, and you would all study the word together? Um, I think we've got a taste of this here, but I think it's just the start of an adventure that God wants to, to take us on. And I would love to be part of something so good and so life-giving that I'm actively, well I can't anyway because I'm leading, but <clears throat> um, I would, you know, no, I, I, I don't really want to go to that even though it sounds really good because I don't want to miss out on, on what God's going to do here. And it'd be so good that, you know, I, I, I find myself, when something really good happens, I'll talk about it. I can't help it. And you might be the same. When something really good happens in your life, you, you'll share it. And it. Because you can't help it. And I'd love church for us to be like that. Where it's so good that we just can't help but talk about it. But to embark on this adventure, we need to be open to trying new things. And there's that old saying, um, insanity is <clears throat> doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. So I'd like, um, I'd like us to be willing, and, and we've already done it, right? We've already started a buy. We're already meeting at, a, at a something, we're already doing something that we never thought we'd be doing. So we're on the way of trying new things. But I want that to continue. I want to be able to say, hey, we're going to try this. And let's all embrace it and give it a go and see what God does with it. <clears throat> so we're going to need to be courageous and to step out and to be willing to try new things in order to reach the place of flourishing that I believe God wants us to be in. And I know that God will lead us and guide us because he's good and he wants his children to flourish <clears throat> in their relationship with him and with each other. So over the coming months, we want to try a few different things and see how they go. <coughs> and uh, we'll talk about those as they come up. 
Um, but the idea is to allow God the opportunity to, to uh, work in us and through us and to shape um, where he wants us to go in order to get to that place of flourishing that uh, I, I for one desire and I think you guys do too. So often our young people lead the way in a new way of doing things and I'd like to invite Carl and, no, just Carl, uh, to come up and uh, to share what God's been doing in our young people. <coughs> Could you be with me for oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm a PC user and I'm Apple Right, um, I've got pretty crude slides, so, and I like stuff that moves because I work with young people, you have to keep your attention span going. So, um, <coughs> for those of you who don't know me, I'm Carl, and my beautiful wife down at the back that doesn't, she's behind the scenes, she actually organises most of it, actually, but just do the cool stuff at the front. <coughs> um, so, yeah, Graham asked me to talk about youth and what's going on, so, um, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for your prayers and support. Uh, for those of you that have been, you know, praying and supporting youth, um, you know, because it's, it's a great help. Your prayer, prayer is greatly received and it helps a lot. So today I want to share with you my love and passion and the call that God's placed on my heart to see the kingdom of God become a reality in our young people. So over about 19 years I've been working with young people in one way or another, um, whether it's been youth camps, Christian camping, um, youth events, conferences, etc. So in this chapter or season of our life at the moment, God has got the Bazanuses, you know, myself, Matthias and Noah, here in this church um, with these amazing young people. So <clears throat> this is my vision for young people. It's always been pretty much the same. That's to grow and cultivate a community young people, of young disciples for Christ Jesus. It's not about just bringing them in. It's about cultivating. It's about you know, keeping them growing and keeping them going. So the last 19 years it hasn't really changed my passion to see God move in them in such a way um, that their faith becomes infectious to other young people. Because I can only, I can only do so much um, you know, doing the youth, but it's the young people that are going to inspire other young people. And us, again, myself and our little ministry team that we've got, we can keep that going and keep that growing within them, more and more are going to turn up. So, mission. 
to create a safe place where young people can be themselves and never feel judged. This is a real biggie. Um, at the moment, we've got about probably 20, 25. 50, sorry, I can't, can't read all the words. Uh, on, our, on our roll, we've got anywhere between sort of 15 to 20, because we have some kids that come once and then don't come again, or they come later on. But, um, this has been real big because a lot of our youth group is actually made up of other churches around Hamilton. And as I've talked to these young individuals, they've told me that they've gone to their youth groups and their churches, they feel judged, they feel like it's a dating service, I can't get a girlfriend so I won't go to youth. So, you know, it's the atmosphere that, that's, I guess, in our group, in this community atmosphere, is that what this church is all about. Is why these, these young people just keep coming to our group. Well, Dan and I are sitting there some far and thinking, man, they've got such an awesome youth group in their church, why don't they go, why don't they go to that one? But they come, to, they come to ours because they, they've told us and they've told me as well. These guys have just said, because your group, your group is so much different. It's better. You know, we're, we're, they feel like they're part of something. They feel like they're part of a family. So, you know, youth today can be cruel. It's not just physically, but emotionally as well. Okay, this happens in schools, social groups, social media, and sometimes at home. The space that we create, um, and we, you know, the... I guess the space that God's created really on Friday night is a place where they forget the crazy world and be themselves. And this year we've got such amazing dynamics in our group, which leads us to some pretty fabulous discussions sometimes. Um, quite heated discussions sometimes. However, I love, we love them all the same. So, <coughs> these are a couple of, hopefully not embarrassing photos, you know, but, um, so this one here. We, uh, this was last Easter, we decided to do like a Passover, Passover thing, so we stuffed, literally stuffed everything into our lounge, and um, yeah, we celebrated the Passover, it's just sort of how they would sort of do it back in the Jewish time and stuff like that, so we had pretty interesting foods, um, some of them I wouldn't recommend, um, but before that we started, you know, started washing feet and hands and all that sort of stuff, and um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was such a cool night because um, it sort of when you've got to wash somebody's feet, it sort of takes a whole. It's interesting to see, you know, you've got to wash your mate's feet. You look at your mate's feet. We're only like, wow, I've got to wash his feet. <laughs> so yeah, it's quite it's quite humbling to say the least. Um, so yeah, we've got some. This again, that's a Passover. We had to play foot golf, um, which is good for you guys. Can't actually hit a regular ball for golf. Try foot golf. It's way easier and a whole bunch of fun as well. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of other folks. Forgive that dude there because yeah, I don't know. I go a bit overboard when we do stretch up. So this was like an 80s night. So we just had like we played SimStar, did some 80s stuff, you know, shoulder pads and all sort of jazz. Um, I was a goth punk, and which was really embarrassing because I met a parent for the very very first time, um, who belongs to this guy here. <laughs> Um, and he's like a theologian, he looked at me and he's like, oh, I should have seen his face, man. Because he just, he actually told me, I just can't take you seriously right now, like, oh, we're going to lose it, but no, keep coming. So it's good. Um, yeah, and yeah, a couple of other things. So the Toffee Pop Challenge, if any of you guys have heard of that, it's a pretty amazing game. Um, so yeah, and just some more of the, more of the 80s thing as well. Oh, sorry, the buttons. So, yeah, so basically our Friday layout, <coughs> so the basic plan for Friday nights, 
um, is, yeah, made it a B-Hog. The reason why we call it the B-Hog because my last name starts with B, her name starts with B, and all the boys' last names start with B, and we live in one place, so B-Hog. So, <coughs> yeah, we have some fun and games, eat some dessert, um, talk about Jesus, and break into genus-specific groups for prayer. So that's the basic plan for Friday nights. Um, Dan and I write our own discipleship programs for each term. Um, the reason for this is we've tried using resources from other other places. And they're, they're good, but they've never really worked out. They've either been too American or too Australian, um, or you know, they just don't really, really suit our young young people. So, you know, Dan and I pray intensely each term for what God wants to reveal these young young people for the term. Some of the programs that we've written um, with uh, Mind Over Media, so that looked at all sorts of media, how that impacts your decision making, how it impacts your life. Um, another one we wrote called the Who Am I Project, tackled identity, but not just the identity that, that God has for you, it's the identity that your parents give you, it's the identity that you, have, that you create for yourselves. Ultimately, we finished with the whole, this is who Jesus thinks you are, because Jesus thinks you're awesome. Um, and we've had massive response from that, so we've done We've done that a few times. Christians under construction, we looked at what it is to build up a Christian. So we looked at, you know, what's it like building a house? You've got to start with a good foundation. So the first part of that is you're building in the scripture. You're building, you know, who is Jesus, who is God, all sort of stuff. Then you've got your interior design. So you're looking at, okay, now that I've got Jesus, what do I do with it? So you look at your personal relationship with God um, and, you know, just keeping that open line of communication with him. And then the last part of it was landscaping. So it was like, okay, now I've got this, I've got the foundation, I've got Jesus, now I can go and talk to him, talk to other people about him. And then we did another one called Text Messages to God, um, which we looked at prayer, you know, different types of prayer, because prayer is different for everybody. You know, some people may sit with like a massive Bible and read scripture, and to me that's boring as, I'll be honest. But for me, prayer is, I'll go for a run in the bush, or you know, go hunting or something like that. Because I see God in creation, and that's where my prayer can really just sort of sort of take off. So we looked at different things that and different tools that the young young people could use. Um, yeah, and there's a few more as well, but probably won't go into those. Right. So you may be thinking this looks like fun, and how can you help? Okay, I'm a big fan of babies. Okay, because I just keep making them go. Oh, you get most attention. Um, so Deanna, Francesca and I, so Francesca is part of our ministry team as well, um, and she's been amazing. Um, she comes every Friday and helps out. So yeah, sorry, what's the place? Yeah, so Deanna, Francesca and I um, are all here for the ministry team, so this is able to be done um, if we keep it at the Beehive, so if we if we do a use at our house, um, it's we can, we can do it. However, the unique problem that we have is youth groups going to Victoria Lounge. And it's all good summer, because most people just sort of spread out into the outside and things, but come winter, we can all know what sardine feels like. Um, so, yeah, so we, um, we need you guys to pray, really. Um, so here's a couple of things to pray for. Pray for Benny. Um, so whether I don't know, we do it here or, or somewhere else or whatever that's going to look like. Um, we've had a few suggestions, but you know, maybe we can do it at HT or here. However, the issue is our boys and the cost of things. Um, so we need we need someone or something to commit every Friday for the school team to either look after our boys 
while Dan and I are doing youth, or we need someone to commit to youth every Friday um, to help so Deanna can stay at home um, and look after the boys. So I know this sounds like a bit of a job interview. Um, you know, this person ideally needs to be reliable, on time, full license, and committed like green on beans and wanting to serve. So, um, yeah. So that's those are a couple of things we need. Um, yeah, so as we sort of just draw this to a close, I just want you guys to take a minute and think about our young people in this church, but not only this church, but the young people in general. Um, young people are so cool. I know sometimes I'll take you off and I'm going to be saying, you know, my boys take me off. But these young people, they've got so much potential. You know, they're the future leaders and are pastors of our church, this church. You know, because I can guarantee Graham won't be doing this for 100 years. I won't be doing this for 100 years, you know. Um, so, you know, what... Yeah, so they're the future leaders and pastors of our church. You know, and spending so much time with them over the years, I've discovered that they've got the potential to be whatever they can be. You know, back when I was a young person, I was connected to maybe another youth group or connected to, you know, other churches in Hamilton and stuff like that. Our young people are connected globally. You know, so it, they've actually inspired me to start thinking outside of the box. So, however they do it, they can't do it alone. So they need our support and prayer. So as much as this is, you know, talking about how cool youth is, it's also a call to help. They need our support and prayer, so, you know, whatever you could do to help, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, because we, we as a church, if we can support them, give them what they need, they're the ones that are going to carry the banner. You know, and I, I seriously believe that the group that we've got at Abide and hold, you know, these young people come to my place every Friday night, it's the highlight of my week every Friday night. I can't wait for youth group. I'm probably walk so and half the kids, you know. But when they when they leave that place, the atmosphere is just amazing in our house. It's really really cool, and it's just you know this they inspire me. I just want to support them so much, and this is a call that has been in my life for a long long time, and I honestly think that this should be a call to a church to support our young people, get behind them. I mean, yeah, they may do silly things, but if you don't learn anything if you don't make mistakes, you know. So let's be together as a church and empower these young people to extend the kingdom of God. So, yeah, thanks. <clears throat> thanks, Carl. That's a great problem to have when there's too many people for your land, isn't it? Um, so we've got uh, the youth having a. Is it face the music, Carl? Yeah, we're going to run a game show, you want to come? A game show, and um, they're opening it up to the rest of us, so um, when is that? Uh, it's the last night of two. No, it's the 6th of April. 6th of April, 6th of oh April. sorry, yeah. See you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so yeah, big hair, shoulder pads, it's going to be cool. So, dress up. So we'll um, provide you some more information, but if we can just save the date, 6th of April at the moment, it's, uh, it should be a lot of fun. Okay, so just bringing it back to our telos, um, 
We want to give God the freedom to make it bind so life-giving and enjoyable that we treasure it, prioritise it, and we can't help talking about it. So, um, and that's going to be an adventure. It's, um, I don't exactly know what that looks like, but um, I want to try um, a few different things and um, that the Lord's put on our hearts. So,